0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of DevThink with your hosts, Nicola and Sean. In this episode, we're going to continue our discussion about the DevOps handbook book. (laughs) And this time, we're going to discuss the part two of the book, which covers additional chapters about how to actually start with this whole DevOps thing. So before we do... Sean, do you have any, you know, good ideas?
1: Um, I think this section of the book didn't doesn't apply to me at this point in my career just because the organization that I work in now actually doesn't have a separate ops uh role. So the developers are ops and the entire point most of the point of this section of the book is about how to get your devs and ops integrated either by embedding ops people into a dev team or creating dev liaisons who are assigned to supporting specific dev teams. And obviously we don't have that problem. I have worked in companies before where they did have that siloing, but here, no, but yeah, they're, they're talking about Conway's law, which is that, you know, software or a product will ultimately reflect the organizational structure of the teams that developed it. So for example, if you have a three separate teams building a product, the product will work process in three layers. And if you have a five team uh, project the product will have five separate components and the idea is to put the ops people in with the devs people so that you break down that silo and you can get a nice flow going between the groups
0: indeed so i totally agree as i was reading this chapter i was like okay this is all nice right but for like for a company that has a lot of devs and a lot of you know people where by a lot i mean honestly i would go companies you know over 100 people because and and again why because they kind of like say that you should have a dedicated team of developers that will do this kind of work and i'm like we're honestly too small to be even you know we don't even have the resources to do that but yeah so like one of the ideas of trying to get and start this devops thing is in case your company is big enough to set a dedicated team of people that's going to work on that. Why? Because we all know, you know, business comes first, right? And if you have to get features done, this DevOps thing is going to stay behind if you don't have a dedicated dedicated people that are just going to do that thing.
1: Yeah. And so, yeah, honestly, um, I I think the most interesting thing in this chapter was the case studies where they talked about some very large companies who were able to go from delivering things late and broken, or even just taking six months to a year to roll out a feature to being able to roll out a feature within weeks. You know, that was interesting and inspiring. I just don't think that they gave a whole lot in the way of um, specific examples of what they did. Once they combined those teams, what did they do differently than what they had been doing? And so it was more of an overview and more of kind of like, getting you warmed up, getting you excited about the idea. But I'm, I'm hoping the next session, section gets into the some of the more nitty gritty practices of what to do.
0: Yeah, totally. Like this whole chapter I was like waiting for. OK, so cool. We know this is great, but give me something practical that we can actually go in and apply in our line of work. Right. So, yeah, definitely like looking looking forward to that. And I do hope they are going to do that. I mean, sure, they did mention, you know, what kind of like the steps that you have to do in order to at least start. And that is, you know, you have to figure out what's your quote unquote value stream, meaning what your work consists of. And they also mentioned that it's a bit different when you are applying DevOps to the so-called Greenfield versus Brownfield projects, which again, again means you know, the project that you start from scratch versus the project that is a long time in the company and it has a lot of technical debt and all of that. And of course, something that um, the theme that keeps getting that, you know, it keeps getting mentioned again and over again is, is that this thing of technical debt that has to be paid. Otherwise, we all know how debt cripples up on us, right? If you don't pay it and by when, it's very good that they mentioned that, is when you should be paying your technical debt. Well, honestly, every day. And they kind of like say that you should set some time aside daily to pay off that technical debt. Otherwise, it will just keep on piling up.
1: Yeah, I did have, I guess, a a few bookmarks that I made. And I'm looking to um, see what they are. Um, One of them is that specifically referring to brownfield systems, which I guess we can consider anything that's already in production a brownfield for the purposes of this podcast, they should not only strive to reduce their complexity and improve their reliability and stability, but also make them faster, safer, safer and easier to manage. And I think that is definitely something, I mean, it goes right along with the, the daily refactoring, doing something I like to refer to as the Boy Scout rule, as I learned it, the Boy Scout rule is you leave the campground cleaner than you found it. And in software development, the Boy Scout rule refers to if you're working on a piece of code and within that file or within that module, not only do you fix the bug or add the feature that you're working on, but clean up, you know, a little bit of, do a little bit of refactoring, re- remove some technical debt. You got to pay that interest regularly. And see, another quote that I, it's just kind of out of context, I'm jumping around because I'm just looking at my bookmarks, uh, Little fish learn to be big fish in little ponds. I laughed um, I really because that.
0: I, la- I laughed because I uh, have this one bookmarked as well.
1: Yeah, and it just, I don't really know how to tie it into this book specifically, but it kind of underscores the fact that nobody is senior or better than everyone else when they start. They need to be given an opportunity to grow and to show what they can do and have some autonomy to improve things, not just be given a bunch of tickets and expected to close them out by the end of the week and get a pat on the head.
0: Indeed. And I would say that like this whole, like this whole DevOps thing, based on like the company that you work in, it may be enough that if you set up, you know, the CI CD, that would be immensely improved, an immense improvement for you. And maybe that will be enough, you know? But yeah, I'm really looking to go through this whole book and see what we can take out of it and apply in our company.
1: Yeah, actually, now that you mention it, they one of the things that they talked, the main thing actually that they talked about as far as getting dev and ops to work together is instead of having devs having to go to ops and request things, and then the ops putting the ticket in a queue and having a human having to do something, the ops should create systems that are automated, which allow the devs to get those things with an API call. So if they need a dev environment run up or they need a new server or they need something deployed, instead of going to an ops guy who's going to then press a button to deploy something, it can just be deployed automatically. And, uh, what you just said about maybe it's just a simple matter of a good, you know, CI/CD system. Maybe that is the solution for uh, a small team. Too small to even have ops is for the devs. Instead of the devs manually doing the deployments and things themselves, they should have a good CI/CD. So once they push to master, everything happens for them.
0: Yeah, because like basically, uh, and I would argue that this uh, holds true for every smaller company, smallish, <laughs> is that developer equals ops in these situations.
1: Yep. And then the, the only other thing, and you already mentioned it, was that this refactoring and this refining and Boy Scout rule stuff is something that should be scheduled in, whether it's daily. Whether it's weekly, like one day a week, or whether you take a week out of every month or every other month, there it has to be built in. And I think the challenge for most organizations, especially smaller ones, is that there's too much pressure to move fast, especially if you're a startup and you have competition and you need to be first to market and you need to constantly be up to, eight, to date and you need to constantly stay fresh in your users' minds because you need that brand recognition. You can't have some other competitor have two or three rollouts with new features ahead of you. So the, the minds of the executives and the product managers and product owners are going to be coming out with these things that we really need to deliver in order to be successful. And without that, nothing else matters. So as a result, the kind of tickets that we want to do to make our day-to-day jobs easier and our products more stable always get pushed aside. So we have to find a way as developers and as managers of developers to steal that time and make sure it gets done.
0: Yep and we're working on it
1: yeah that's the plan yeah and i mean it's not it's not stealing you're you're really it's like you're you're a secretly sabotaging from inside by making everything better you know it's like like a gremlin that goes in and fixes things
0: yeah definitely <laughs> although a gremlin that fixes things
1: sean yeah well that's why it's funny or not yeah anyways so, anyway, guys yeah, that's about all i have for this uh one do you have anything you want to top it off with or make this a nice short episode?
0: No, no, this will for once be a shorter episode. Anyway, so just so, so that I say a data, that's probably the only data point. So we're talking about this improvement and paying off debt. They actually, um they rec- recommend to do this for 20% of the time, which is if you calculate, that's basically one day per week, which is interesting, right? But yeah, as I said, this may not pertain to every company. So... But then again, you do have to realize that that's an actual thing, this quote-unquote technical debt, and that sooner or later you have to start paying it off. Otherwise, it will just hit you on the head, and that will not be nice. Um,
1: yeah, maybe, maybe 20% of the time is reasonable for a giant company with hundreds of developers and millions of lines of code, but maybe a small startup with you know 10 to 20 developers and thousands of lines of code. Maybe you can do 20% or 5 or 10% of the time. And as long as you have good practices, so you're not adding to the technical debt and you chip away at it little by little, you can probably get to the point where, you know, 5 or 10% is more than enough.
0: Yeah. The only, like the key word that I would use is consistency. Yeah.
1: I mean, if, if you do 10% every week and you find that you're falling behind, make it 20. If you're doing 20 and you've solved all your big problems, make it five.
0: Exactly. Anyways, guys, that's all we have for you in this episode we honestly hope that as we go onward things will become more practical so that we will have more things to share with
1: you till next time see you guys bye everybody bye thank you for listening to the devthink podcast to reach us for comments show suggestions and other feedback contact us at info at devthink that's d-e-v-t-h dot i-n-k our intro music is by rupa deadweiler No animals were harmed in the making of this podcast.